Well, good morning, good morning. Hey, we're kicking off a brand new series today, and through this entire series, starting today and over the next uh, three weeks total, I want you to have this image in your head. So if I've got a chair, I want you to be thinking of how would I define or describe, maybe is a better word, describe my faith. Faith is basically putting your trust in something or someone. So if I'm going to have trust in Jesus, faith in Jesus, how would you describe the type of faith you have, the amount of faith you have, how strong your faith is in Jesus? If you think about it like this chair, you might sit in this chair but not have a lot of faith in this chair, and it would look something like this, where it's like, I'm kind of holding on to the chair. I've sort of got like one side on the chair, but I've got my feet firmly planted on the ground. Just in case, if this chair decides to break, if this chair doesn't work out, I'm going to be totally okay because I can stand on my own two feet, no problem. Right? And oftentimes we, we approach our faith in Jesus the same way as like, is it sturdy? Is this going to be okay? So I'm going to, let me like try it out just a little bit. You kind of hold on just in case. And you might start getting a little bit more faith where you scoot back just a little bit more. But I still have my feet on the ground just in case because I don't want to be caught on my rear end if this thing doesn't work out. So maybe I start to get all the way back in the chair, but I'm still keeping my, my hands off to the sides. I've got my feet firmly planted on the ground just in case. Church, my hope and prayer is that you would get to a place in your faith where you are completely reliant on him, where you would be not comfortable. I'm not sitting here reclining just comfortable, but I'm saying, no, I have full faith in Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior, and I'm not worried about what happens if. So let me tell you the heart behind this series. I hope you know that uh, the series that we do each and every week, whether they're short series, long series, whatever they might be, man, I'm telling you, a ton of thought, a ton of prayer goes into those series as we as a team try to, to not just say, what does is, what is God's word say, but what do we need to hear, right? What is, what is that for us today from God's word? And of course, it applies, and of course, it's true. This series has literally been a year in the making, and I say that because Back in March of 2020, when we physically shut down the doors of our church, the, the biggest fear that I had personally was how do, I, how do I make sure that we as a church have faith that's still completely reliant on Jesus when we're not physically meeting on site? And so I struggled with that, truly, of how do I make sure as your leader, as your pastor, to make sure that we all have a faith that's not based on something or someone else, but it is fully based on Jesus. Sunday mornings are great. Don't hear me. Don't, don't mishear me. I love the fact that we gather on a Sunday. But your faith is more than just what you do for an hour on a Sunday. Your faith is so much more than that. And when something gets taken away or when something rocks your world, do you land on your own two feet? Or do you land on your faith that's only found in Jesus? So Ephesians 4 has been in my head and heart for the last year. Here's what it says. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to, what's the word? Is to equip, equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, which is the body of Christ. In other words, that's what we do here. 
Not just that's my job, but that's what we do as a church. The volunteers leading your kids right now, the volunteers leading your students right now, the people directing you in the parking lot and handing you a cup of coffee. Our role as a church and leaders in our church, volunteers and servants in our church, is to equip people to do what God's called them to do. To equip you so that Monday through Saturday, guess what? You know what you're doing in the kingdom. You know how to handle whatever life throws at you. You know how to keep growing in your faith. So if that's our role as a church, is to equip people, well, then your responsibility is to own your faith. If we're going to equip, you have to have some ownership in that, because here's what happens next, verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Maturity is a big deal. We're going to talk a lot about that next week. Verse 14. Then, if we are that, if we are equipped and if we're growing and owning our faith, verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. That sounds like our world today, doesn't it? Verse 15, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body in the church. Did you catch all that? So when we equip people to not just know their faith, but to own their faith and to grow in their faith, then we become mature in our faith. And that's a journey. That's a process. It is not overnight. But it is what we're called to do so that we can be mature in our faith, so that when we trust and fully have faith, when it gets a little shaky, we're, we're not on our own two feet. We continue to rely only on him. Last part of this section, verse 16. So he, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That speaks to what our individual roles are within the church. So my hope through the next three weeks is not that you would learn how to stand on your own two feet. We go through life trying to figure that out, don't we? How can I stand on my own two feet? How can I make sure I am independent in every way so that I can stand on my own two feet? No, as followers of Jesus, as believers in him, I want us to not learn how to stand on our own two feet, but stand fully on our own faith in Jesus. So when things get a little bit rocky, we stand on our faith in Jesus. When something changes, we stand on our faith in Jesus. When we're uncertain, we stand on our faith in Jesus. When things are hard at home, we stand on our faith in Jesus. No matter what, it's not to learn how to stand on your own two feet, but it's to learn and grow and own the responsibility of standing firm in your own faith. So let me just give you an overview of the next three weeks so you see how these build and how they go. I normally wouldn't say this. I, trust me, church attendance is important. That includes online, absolutely. But if you would be willing to give me the next three weeks, like actually give me each Sunday over the next three weeks. If you can't make it, make sure you at least go back and view it because they are going to build. Typically our series, you can kind of miss one, hit one. These are going to build on each other and I feel like you're not gonna get the full understanding and the full picture if you're like, well, I got the first one, I got the last one, you're gonna miss the middle one. So here's the next three weeks, just so you know where we're going. First one, what we're gonna talk through today is your faith is who you are, not what you do. If I were to ask you, and I even tested this over the last couple weeks. If I were to ask you, tell me about your faith in Jesus. You know what our, our typical responses are? Here's what I do. 
Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with behavior. We're going to talk through that. Yes, we have choices that we can make, but the change of heart happens only from a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus. Your faith is who you are. It's not just what you do. So that's going to be today. Week two, next week, your faith always applies and it impacts everything every single day. In other words, yes, your faith is relevant. Yes, your faith will impact every single choice you make. Yes, it will impact every decision you make. Yes, you go through your life constantly thinking about your faith. It's not just, oh, it's time to grab my faith. It's a Sunday. Or it's time to grab my faith. It's time to prayer before dinner. It's, no, my faith is always applying. And it impacts every single thing every single day. That's next week. The very last week, week three, speaks to the last part of Ephesians where he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other's parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So lastly, we will look at that your faith gives you purpose. There's a very specific mission and purpose that we have when we say, this is my faith in Jesus. We're given purpose and we are given a mission. Let's not miss what that is. And let me just tell you a little spoiler alert. There's a big difference between your potential and your purpose. And we are going to talk all about that on the last week. So if you're willing, go on this journey with me over the next three weeks as we look at owning our faith, making our faith our own. And it's so much more than just what we do. Let's pray and we'll dive into this, this first part. Jesus, thank you so much for for you giving us faith. Scripture says that you're the author and perfecter of our faith. So we recognize that there is much we cannot do. So help us to focus on what we can do to own and grow our faith, but we would ask you to grow our faith even more. Regardless of how we would describe our faith today, may your Holy Spirit do a work in us starting today and continue as you say in Philippians, until the, until the day that you come back or we come home to you, that you continue to grow us. So Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, increase our faith, grow our faith, and help us to understand what it means to own our own faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so your faith is who you are. It is not just what you do. Scripturally, here's what that looks like. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, belonging is more than just what you do. It's who you are. You belong to the family of God. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We read that a lot around here because it's so true. The moment you say yes to Jesus, you have a personal relationship with him. He moves in your heart. He lives in you. Guess what? It's not just what you do. It's who you are. And yes, because of who you are, behaviors change. But the focus here is not on change the behaviors. The focus is on, no, there's a change of heart that happens when you say yes to Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says the same thing in different words. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. So you see what happens here. When we say yes to Jesus and we begin our faith, we have faith in him, it's not an immediate focus on just what we do, but rather it's an immediate focus on who we are, whose we are. We are his, and we become children of God, and he literally moves in through his spirit and lives inside of us. That's what it looks like to have your faith that's your own. It is a personal relationship with Jesus, but it has to be yours, and that's a decision that has to be made between you and the Lord. Let me show you what that does not look like. Because again, in our culture, we are very works focused. 
aren't we? It's, well, we have to do all these things, and that seeps into our church and our Christianity. Again, don't mishear me. Doing the right thing is a good thing, but you first have to start with your heart. So what does it look like if you just focus on the behaviors? Here's a funny story. Acts chapter 19. Let me give you a little context here. And I want you to, there's a part of this story I want you to mainly focus on. So Acts is the story of the early church after Jesus rose from the dead. So the church begins, and now people are hearing about the name of Jesus, and they're all trying to figure out, well, what do we do with this Jesus thing? They're trying to figure it out a lot like many of us are still trying to figure it out. Here's a story. Notice the difference between the who we are and the what we do. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 13. There was a group of Jews who were traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, Paul is one of the apostles, who Paul preaches to come out. It says here that it was the seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, who were doing this. Now, pause there for a second. Let me make sure you understand what's going on. There are these seven sons, these brothers, that were traveling around, what we would maybe say doing a good thing, it seems like a Christian thing to do, trying to drive evil spirits out of people and help people that are demon-possessed. You don't see that very much today, but in that time, that was a little bit more common. So it seems like a good thing to do. It seems like a Christian thing to do. So they go to this evil spirit, and they command them, command him, come out of this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. I command you to come out from whom Paul preaches. Verse 15, this is great. This is hilarious. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied. The evil spirit talked back to these seven guys. I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? That's funny. It's also a little scary. If you're the one trying to drive out all these demons and you start talking to one and you say, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the risen God and the one whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And then this evil spirit talks back and says, you talked about Jesus and Paul. I know both of them. Oh, but we don't know you. <laughs> That's a moment that gives you pause, doesn't it? So here's what happens next. Obviously, they don't know who these people are. Verse 16, then the man with the evil spirit le leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Yeah, that really happened. Here's my point. It looked like they were doing the right thing. It sounded like they were saying the right things. And so often we try to claim victory in our lives in the name of Jesus. Our marriage is falling apart, so I'm supposed to have faith that Jesus will heal my marriage. What if it's not working? I have an addiction that I just can't kick, so I'm going to, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to declare that I'm free from this addiction. And it's not working. I mean, we could go through all the scenarios where we try to claim victory in the name of Jesus, but my question is, do you know him? Not just are you saying the right things. If you try to live a life of faith without first having deep roots in, in your own faith, this is the end result. You feel like you get beat up. See, these demons did not know who these people were. If they had a personal relationship with Jesus, what do we read out of 2 Corinthians and, and Galatians 2? That Jesus dwells in us. So if they had a personal, real relationship with Jesus, then that evil spirit would have said, we know Jesus, we know Paul, and we see Jesus in you. Instead, they said, we have no idea who you are. You have no authority here. And they showed them that. 
So can I encourage you? And we're going to talk about what this looks like. We're going to get real practical here in a second. But I want you to see the difference. Behaviors are important. But your relationship with Jesus must come first. And it has to dwell in your heart. Once he lives in you, then you will start to see him change your life. And we have choices to make on what that looks like each and every day. But again, I get ahead. That's next week. We'll talk about those everyday choices next week. But today, your faith is your own. Your faith is personal. And your faith is who you are. It's not just a list of things you do. Jesus tries to get this across very early on in his ministry. Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be the rest of our time this morning. Matthew chapter 5, we get something called the Sermon on the Mount. Like I said, early on in Jesus' ministry, and he starts to just turn everybody's world upside down. The Jews of the day, their entire world of faith was based on following the rules to the letter. That's the job of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, was to follow all the laws perfectly and without fault. And if you did that, then you were at right standing with God. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm going to turn that upside down. He says, I'm going to turn it so much upside down that, yes, I want you to do the right thing, but first I want you to just know me and I want to have a relationship with you and I want us to, to have that kind of a relationship together that's personal. And then Jesus says, then let's start working through the change. But you have to focus on your own heart first. And like I said, this turned the world of the faith of the day upside down. One of the first parts, in fact, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus starts to do this is what we now call the Beatitudes. You might have heard these before. It's kind of hard to discern what do they exactly mean, so we're going to go through each one. And as we go through each one of these, I want you to focus on two things. First of all, notice that it's not so much a behavior as it is a heart condition. It's not so much here's something to do. Jesus is not going to go through and say, so you want to have faith. You want to follow me. You want to love God and love others. Well, here's what you do. You get in this Bible study and you go to this church service and you serve this many hours. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he says, I'm going to focus on your heart and I want you to become more like me. And here's what that looks like. So as we go through each of these Beatitudes, focus on who, what does that person look like? It's an identity, not a behavior at first. Yes, the behaviors come later. And then secondly, I want you to pay attention to your own heart. As we go through these, ask yourself the question, does this describe me? Not my behaviors. Does it describe who I am? Does it describe my identity in Jesus? So let's go through each of them. I'm hoping that one of these will at least stick out to you like, ooh, ooh, I'm not there yet. And you know where to lean in. You know how to begin to pray in that prayer symbol. God, make me more like you in this. Help me to become more like you in this so that your heart begins to change before you try to change any behaviors. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5, I would tell you to write down the one that you're saying that currently doesn't describe who I am, and that gives you something to lean into as we move forward through owning our faith. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And here's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and what we would then call the Beatitudes. Here's the first one, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Like I said, we have to discern what these mean. Blessed are the, the, the poor in spirit. What does that mean? The poor in spirit, this is the very foundation of us following Jesus. Poor in spirit says, I cannot do this on my own. Go back to the chair. The poor in spirit recognizes, I should not and cannot stand on my own two feet. The poor in spirit says, if this chair falls, everything falls. 
The poor in spirit says, I can not on my own. You're poor, meaning you need someone. You need a savior. You start there with your heart. Who am I? I am poor in spirit. I recognize that without God, I am nothing. We talked before a few weeks ago about the difference between a branch and a stick. John 15 says, apart from Jesus, we can do, do you remember? We can do what? Nothing. No, we stay connected to him. We recognize our desperate need for him. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. So for, for my identity, to own my faith, I recognize I need Jesus in my heart. I need my Savior. My only hope is in him. Verse 4, next one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's always an interesting one. Blessed are those who mourn. You mean like happy are those who are sad? Help me understand. Now, what are we mourning about? That's the first question. You'll notice these actually build on each other. Blessed are those that mourn. It's talking about a repentant heart. A heart that looks at the poor in spirit and says, man, I am broken. I am in need of Jesus. And I mourn because I recognize the brokenness in my own life. I mourn because of the sin in my own life. And so it causes me, me mourning, me being regretful, helps me see the need to change in my own heart. Right? So there's two ways that you could look at this. Brokenness and misery. Have you ever known just like a miserable person? Doesn't matter what, like any, nothing could change it. They're just always miserable. They walk around constantly in misery. There's never any change. There's never, there's never even uh, like a rescue from this. It's just you're always miserable. There's always something wrong. Brokenness says something's not right. I need to be rebuilt. I need, something needs to change. So blessed are those who mourn says, I recognize the brokenness of sin in my life and in my heart, which moves me to have more and more faith in Jesus, my Savior who takes my sins away. So blessed are those who are poor in spirit, recognize my need for a Savior. Blessed are those who mourn, recognizing that, man, I am broken. So who do I turn to? I only turn to Jesus. Here's the next one. Verse 5. Blessed are those that are meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meek gets a bad rap. Often when you say the word meek, you think of like, oh, small little wimpy puny kid, right? Technically, you might make a case for that, but it doesn't mean weak. Weak and meek are vastly different. Meek literally means to bridle wild horses or to tame. So to say, blessed are those that are meek, blessed are the meek is recognizing Okay, I am a wild creature that has all kinds of desires and I want to do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. Blessed are the meek says, yet I will surrender to God's will. It's an act of surrender, of yielding to him. Blessed are the meek is the one that says, I am not my own. I am now his, which means I don't do whatever I want to do. It's not my will be done, but it's his will be done. Does that make sense? So the meek is not somebody that is weak. The meek is someone that surrenders wholly to God. If you're wrestling with this one personally, here's what I would even encourage you to lean in a little bit further, is which parts of your life have you not surrendered to God yet? Because on the surface, we would say as a believer, yes, I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I've given my life over to him. That's what Galatians 2 said. I've died to my own life and now Christ lives in me. Great. Is there an area that you're still saying you're king over though? Is there a part of your life that you're still holding control over? 
Or is there a part of your life that you've not submitted and surrendered to him? Jesus says, anybody that wants to be my disciple, be my follower, must deny themselves, pick up their cross daily, and follow me. This is a difficult one, especially in the culture that we live in today that says, well, if you want it, you can have it. If you want it, just work hard enough. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't do whatever it is that you want to do. No. We surrender our lives to him. And we sacrifice everything about ourselves, our wants, our desires, all of it. And we surrender it to him. Blessed are the meek, which comes out of our repentant heart. Again, notice how they build. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I love this one because it doesn't give you all the things that we do. Again, it's not the behaviors. It's that heart posture of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I want to know more. I want to learn more. I want to understand more. This is where the behaviors start to follow. If that's your identity of I am someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, then yes, the behaviors follow of well, Bible studies and, and getting into God's word and reading his scripture on my own and journaling and praying. And like, that's where you start to see those spiritual disciplines come out. But if you do not first have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, then those are just going to feel like obligations. There's just going to be things that you do. Well, I go to church because I'm supposed to, and I do this Bible study because of this. I'm supposed to do a Bible reading once a day, so I do the verse a day. Those things are good to do within the context of who you are as someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. There's a tree that you would find in the desert. Let me show you a picture of it. This is called the shepherd's tree. I'll tell you why this is important. Shepherd's tree, as you can imagine, in the desert cannot pick itself up and move into a different environment. So if there's not any water in that desert, that tree really is stuck. And oftentimes we find ourselves stuck in our own environments as well. The family you have, the place that you live, the place that you work in, sure, you could quit your job and go somewhere else, but let's admit, in a lot of ways, we're where we're at, and God can move us and change us any way that he wants, but at least in this current moment, you're where you are. So what do you do if you are just feeling empty? I can't change anything around me, so what has to change in me? That's where this tree helps us understand. So this tree, the shepherd's tree, instead of picking itself up and moving to where there's water, what do you think it does with its roots? It goes in deeper, doesn't it? In fact, the, the largest root system, depth-wise, ever discovered was from a shepherd's tree, 230 feet down to find water. So let me say this to you, and, and as you're looking at who you are, do you feel like, I just don't feel God anymore? I just don't see God anymore. I just don't, I just don't have that drive. I don't have that hunger. I don't have that thirst. Go a little deeper. Go a little deeper. You might have to go 230 feet deeper before you hit water. But have that hunger and have that thirst. It's who you are. Keep getting your roots deeper because that root system in your spiritual life, in your faith life, and in your heart, that's what allows us to grow. Without roots, there cannot be growth. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Now we see a change here. It's, it's shifted. So far, each and every one of these has focused on our identity, but also focused on who we are in Jesus. So blessed are those who are poor in spirit. I have a need for Jesus. Those who mourn, I am broken without Jesus. Right? Meek, I surrender my life to Jesus. 
Hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want them to know more about Jesus. All those are focused on our relationship with him. Now, all of a sudden, it's shifted, and now we're starting to see how it interacts with people around us. Well, who are we in our relationships with others? According to Jesus, merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, this is an interesting dynamic you'll find throughout Scripture in the New Testament. You'll find where we are to be merciful because we have been shown mercy. We are to love because we have first been loved. We are to forgive. Do you see the trend here? Because why? Because we have been forgiven. We give because we have first been given. Do you see how this works? So that's a, that is a very typical cycle in, in the Christian faith. And it should not end with us. Let me just say that. It should not end with me and it should not end with you. And what I mean by that is the mercy that you've been, that you've been given, don't let it end with you. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So then I give mercy to other people. And then God continues to show me mercy. So then what do I do? I continue to show mercy. That cycle should be constant in our relationships with one another. And that's part of who you are. It's not just something you do. It's not blessed are the people that are nice to other people. Blessed are those that are people pleasers. Blessed are those that get along with everybody. No, no, it's blessed are the merciful, those who give mercy mercy. Well, what if they don't deserve it? Well, I'm giving mercy not because you deserve it. I'm giving mercy because it was first given to me. Don't let that cycle end with you. Here's the next one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let me make sure you understand the idea of pure here. Jesus does not say, blessed are the perfect in heart. Go back to the second one. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because I'm a mess. I'm a wreck. <laughs> There's nothing perfect about me. So here, blessed are the pure in heart is saying there's, there's nothing contaminated in my heart, meaning I'm not divided in my heart. I cannot serve both God and anything or anyone else. My heart needs to be solely given to him, undivided or pure in this case. So does anything or anyone else have a place in your heart? That would be the question to begin to wrestle with. Pure in heart means I'm constantly focused on the things of God. Jesus says later on in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God. We're told in Philippians, here's the things to think about. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is worthy. Read through that, Philippians 4.8. That our mind and our heart dwells on the things of God. That helps us to become a person who is our identity, pure in heart. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, let's be clear on this one as well. It does not say, blessed are the peaceful. It does not say, blessed are the peacekeepers, right? No, it's peacemakers. And there's a big difference there. Peaceful would say, I'm making sure that everybody's always happy. I am full of peace, so I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that everyone else has peace. That would be peaceful. A peacekeeper is saying, I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm going to make sure that everything in my control, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything because I want to keep the peace. That would be something that would be like a people pleaser, if you want to think of it that way. So what's a peacemaker? A peacemaker. Think of the difference between, between a thermostat and a thermometer. A thermometer changes based on the environment, doesn't it? If it's hot outside, well, then your thermometer will go up. If it's cold, then your thermometer comes down, right? A peacemaker would be the thermostat. You set the temperature, 
and then it changes the environment. That's what a peacemaker does. In fact, one author wrote it this way. A peacemaker bravely declares God's terms, which makes someone whole. You see, the peace that we're talking about here as a peacemaker is not the absence of conflict type of peace. It's the peace that only comes from Jesus and having a relationship with him that makes us whole. Jesus came to give us peace between him and God. This is not peace about you and your your spouse. This isn't peace between you and your friends. This isn't peace between you and your kids. This isn't peace between you and anyone else. This is talking about a peacemaker between you and God, and you recognize that other people have that same need. Jesus' love in my life is the only thing that makes me whole and brings peace. So as a peacemaker, I want other people to know about that. I bravely declare God's terms which makes someone whole, which we know is only found in Jesus. Here's your last one, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we start to see a little bit of a a nod to the behaviors, or at least the outward look. Blessed are those that are persecuted. Why? Well, because of righteousness. In other words, because they did the right thing. In order to be persecuted, the right things had to have been evident right? You never see somebody persecuted for something nobody knows about. You're persecuted because, well, people see it. People heard about it. People recognized it in you. You live differently. And if that doesn't jive, well, then people tend to be a little bit standoffish. And that's where that persecution comes from. So as far as thinking through your identity, are you someone who does what's right even in the difficult? Are you someone that has that kind of integrity? Maybe we would use that word in our everyday language. That because of who I am, yes, this is what I do. Because of who I am, here's how I think and speak and act and live and love. Here's how I speak up. Here's how I parent. Here's how I treat my spouse. Here's how I show up to work. Here's how I work within my church. Here's how I work within my community and my world. Here's how I use use my resources and my finances. Here's how I use my gifts and my talents, my abilities. All because of who I am. Here's how I live. Let me just say, just like Jesus said it, expect there to be resistance. When you say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, you should expect to get a little resistance. You mean there's, there's no other way? That seems kind of narrow-minded. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, narrow is the way that leads to heaven. So which one of those does not currently describe you and who you are? Not what you do, but who you are. And may your prayer life begin to focus there. Jesus, make me, my heart, not my actions, make my heart more and more like you, specifically in that area. This last week, we were on spring break. We went up to visit my family up in Cincinnati, Ohio area. And uh, one of the things that we do often trying to teach our kids to be good stewards of money. And so they earned some money. They washed cars and stuff before vacation. So they each had some money because of things that they had done to earn it. And I said, now that's your money. Whatever you want to do with it, for the most part, you always have to give disclaimers with like six-year-olds. And I said, so within reason, yes, you can spend your money on whatever you want. And uh, so we were at this one place, and, and Cole, my, my middle son, six years old, uh, man, just super smart in and, and, and how he spends his money. And he's been walking, and he's just all week, 
Ah, do I want to spend my money on that? No, I'll wait. He'll see something else. No, I'll wait. And then finally, towards the end of the week, he found something that he wanted to spend his money on. Rocks. <laughs> I kid you not. It's a bag of rocks. Literally, it was, now they kind of look cool, uh, but it's a bag of rocks. He was like, ah. And he was asking me, now, if I bought this one, how much money would I have left? If I bought three of them, how much money would I have left? If I bought three rocks and the bag, how much money do I have left? Now, if I bought five rocks, oh, I'll put those back. So like he was, he was wrestling with how to spend his money here, right? So he ends up buying these three rocks and puts them in this little bag that he bought, spent like six bucks on it. Really, that was a lot of money. His own money, it cost him something. Didn't cost me a thing. It cost him something to get these rocks in this bag. But you know what he's been doing ever since he got those rocks? Man, he's been holding on to it. Like, I promise you, he's not going to lose those rocks. He's been walking around with those rocks. He's been making sure those rocks are safe. And, hey, Cole, where are your rocks? Oh, they're right here. <laughs> he's holding tightly to his rocks. When we have ownership of something, you know this. When you own a car, you own a house, you own something, what do you do? You care about it. You take care of it. You recognize that you have some responsibilities. May your faith be very similar to that. In the sense of, yes, your faith is going to cost you. We give our lives to Jesus. But he gave us his life first, didn't he? There's going to be some aspects of your faith that you need to just take care of it. You need to own your faith in the sense of, I'm, I'm taking good care of my faith. It's not going to be dusty on the shelf. No, as we're going to talk next week, it applies every day and in everything that we do. But it starts with your heart. So the band's going to come up. I'm going to pray in just a second. And during this last song, would you just do some soul searching? Would you just check your heart and see if there's a part of your heart that doesn't match God's? And begin to allow him to change that today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you do in our own lives, for how you change our hearts. We would ask and we would pray that you would perfect our faith because you are just that. Like we said earlier, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. So we invite you into our lives. We invite you into our hearts. Begin to change us from the inside out, that our lives would be built on you, not on the things that we do, not on our actions and behaviors, but on our desire to be with you and your power working within us. May we start here with our heart before we begin to wrestle with other aspects of our faith. So move in. And may our lives be built on you. In Jesus' name, amen.